Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. For more information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Merry Christmas and fun time of year. Hope you got your shopping done. Uh, it's, it's coming quick, right? Good stuff. Man, appreciate you guys leading us in worship. Hey, as we get into stuff today, we're going to be in 1 John. And 1 John is a book, a little book, right at the end of your Bible. It's uh, right at the end of the New Testament. So if you're not sure how to find your way around there, kind of start at the back and flip forward and you'll get to it pretty quickly. But it's written by one of Jesus' closest friends and closest companions. And so we're going to look at a few verses of what John had to say about Jesus there today. But as you, several years ago, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine. He was telling me about a vacation he had taken with his family. And in this vacation, uh, they had planned it for a long time. It was going to be a big family trip. They're going to go see one of America's great national treasures, the Grand Canyon. And they were super excited about it. He'd been telling his kids. And as they prepped and as they planned, they got excited. And the kids seemed excited. And they got in the car and the kids were, you know, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And he thought, this is going to be a great vacation. And then when they finally got there and they rolled out and they began to look over the beauty of the Grand Canyon, his kids seemed really disappointed. And he waited and kind of talked to them for a minute and tried to figure out, finally asked them what was going on. And what he discovered was they thought all this time they were going to find a Grand Canyon, which is really different from a Grand Canyon. And if you're an eight-year-old boy, a canyon that looks like that is way more exciting than a canyon that looks like that. And so these kids were incredibly disappointed. What you had here was a failure to communicate. You had a father who tried to communicate to his kids, but he didn't get down on their level. He didn't think about the vocabulary that they needed. He didn't think about the experiences they'd had in life. And so as he communicated the excitement for the Grand Canyon, he missed, the, he missed his kids and their excitement and their expectations were not met because they were looking for something. But let's be frank, is a cannon going off as cool as the Grand Canyon? Is it as beautiful as the Grand Canyon? Well, to an eight-year-old mind, that was the greatest thing in the world. But what we know, and what his kids would grow up to know, is that the canyon is something actually far more majestic, something far more powerful, something far deeper and greater that took a lot more effort to create. But it tells us something about communication, doesn't it? It tells us how we can easily miss the boat. And so as we think about this today, communication and expectations can be tough when you're coming from a different perspective. So let's turn to 1 John, and we're going to begin in chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 1. 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with God the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that, you, so that our joy may be complete. John 
one of Jesus' closest friends, is telling about his interaction with Jesus. And he's telling us something about it. And he starts off, you notice he says, that which was from the beginning. And so he starts off really this interesting phrase of that something, as he's starting this book, he's saying, something has been around for a very long time. Something's been around since the very beginning. And he's actually gonna give us a connection and kind of connect the dots for us back through the scriptures. You see, uh, if you look back to Genesis 1, it starts off this way, the very first words of the Bible, in the beginning, God. You come forward and John wrote one of the four gospels. There's four gospels that, that are really the story of Jesus' life, uh, his, his birth, his death, his resurrection in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John, the same writer that wrote 1 John, began the, his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the word. And then he gets later and he writes this other letter, 1 John, and you notice how he says, that which was from the beginning. Do you see a theme here? Like you don't have to be a brilliant scholar to understand that John is trying to get you to connect the dots saying, you know, what God started in Genesis, what God continued in the birth of Jesus, what God is continuing in John's life after Jesus is all connected and it's all according to the plan of God. And so John wants you to understand he's on point. He's staying on message. He's communicating the truth that's been, that's come through the scriptures. And that's important for him, or that's important for him, for us to know is that he's consistent with the message of the whole Bible. But you notice there's also something else he says here, that there's something new that's taking place. There's something that is now being made manifest. There's something that's becoming a reality in this time that was not before. And so he wants you to understand in verse two, life was made manifest to us. When he says it's made manifest, it's kind of a weird term for us. What he's saying is that, that it became real that it was made visible, that it became tangible, it became touchable, it became something that you could wrap your arms around, something that seemed theoretical became this reality in this moment. And that was the life that God comes to bring. So something has now happened in Jesus that was there from the beginning, but now has come with some kind of a greater clarity that God's revealed himself in a new way. Today, what I want us to do is we're gonna look at four truths of Christmas. As we think about these four truths, that we see in Christmas, the first one is that God is knowable. That we can actually know God. We say it another way, God has made himself known to us. God has revealed himself. God has made himself visible. God has clearly spoken in such a way that we can actually understand who he is. You know, the clearest revelation, God speaks to us in all kinds of ways. God speaks to us through his creation. He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through relationships and our friends and the church but the clearest way in which God has spoken is through the person of Jesus Christ, his son who walked amongst us. And as John points out as he, as he talks here in, uh, in chapter, uh, verse one, notice the repetition he says, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, that which we have looked upon, that which we have touched with our hands. And that's kind of hitting all the senses, right? He's saying in, in every way possible, we, I, I've experienced the reality of God's son here in the world. He even repeats himself a few times to make sure that we're, that we're paying attention. Now, why is it he's doing this? Is he just trying to be dramatic? No, really what we see is he's taking the form of a testimony in court. It's like he's giving a formal deposition and he wants you to understand, look, I will testify and I will swear to the truth that Jesus Christ was in the flesh. I saw him with my eyes. I heard his teaching with my ears. I touched him with my hands. This one who was God in the flesh was real. He said, you can, you can take me to court and I will swear by it. 
You can, you can put me in a, in a deposition and I'm under oath and I will completely testify that this is true and I will hold nothing back. Have you ever been in a deposition? If you have to be in a deposition, you're sitting there and you know that everything's on record and it's, you know, you're swearing yourself in and you're doing all these things and you're signing things, promising that it's real and you're, you're careful about not speaking mistruth. And what John is saying, he actually takes the form of testimony and says, look, I'm holding nothing back. I have nothing to hide. I'm completely confident this one named Jesus was truly God in the flesh. He's saying that Christmas really happened. That Christmas is not a figment of his imagination or anyone else's. So why is he making a big deal about all this? Well, because it was incomprehensible to them. He knows that for them, it was really hard to believe. You know, the difficulty for us, I think 2000 years removed, is that 2000 years after Christ appeared, we've gotten kind of numb to it all. We think of Christmas and we think of the manger scenes and we think of the light shows, we think of the gifts and the tree and the evergreen and uh, the big meal and the family gatherings. And we think of all the trappings and Jesus becomes kind of an afterthought that gets slid into the mix of all the Christmas excitement, but it doesn't feel shocking to us. For us, it doesn't feel new. We've become kind of numb to it. But that's why I think the Bible says about Jesus, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness could not comprehend it. You see, in that day, when when they thought about the idea of God, of the universe, the creator, the one who spoke and the world came into existence, to think of that God to come in the form of a baby in human flesh as one of us was such a radical concept, and it just would take them back and they wouldn't know what to do with that information. In fact, it says that though that information came to them, they they couldn't receive it. They didn't know what to do with it. And so as you think about this, and I love what what, what Tim Keller says about this. He says that this should be amazing to us too, that the reality that God came in the flesh should so shock us that we never recover from it. He says, you are seeing God in human form. We see God's perfections in ways that we can relate to. We see his love, his humility, his brilliance, his wisdom, and his compassion, but they are no longer abstractions. We see them in the breathtaking real life forms. See, throughout the whole period of the Old Testament, you knew who God was and God interacted with his man, but you couldn't see him face to face in the same way that you could when Jesus showed up. When Jesus walked on this earth and when he, when he healed, when he cared for the poor, when he, when he lifted up the downcast, when he, uh, when he came to those who were under judgment and brought grace to them. In, in all the manifestations of his life here on earth, we saw him interacting in a different way and we're able to wrap our minds around him because we can relate to him. It's why I think in our culture, some people, some people like to say things like, man, I like Jesus, but I'm not sure about the Bible. I like Jesus, but I'm not sure about his church. I like Jesus, but I don't like religion. Because in Jesus, we see something we can actually relate to. But you have to take Jesus at his word. You can't take just the parts you want. And so as we understand this, what's important for us to understand that Christmas is about God coming to us in a way that we could truly understand him, in a way that we would really know who he was. That's why this is sometimes referred to as the condescension of God meaning that God stooped down and kind of got down in our level. You ever do this with your kids where you kind of get down at their level and they're trying to explain something to you and you get down and you kind of put their hands right in your, you put your hands on their face and just say, tell me it is what you're saying. You know, tell, explain to me what it is you're trying to say. And you're trying to get down on their level so they understand. We understand this Christmas is God's condescension to get down on our level and say, I want to talk to you on terms that you can actually grasp. 
that you can actually wrap your mind around. So the first truth of Christmas is that God is knowable. But you know, in his condescension, that's a grace to us that he did. He didn't do it because we had to. He did it because he wanted to. So the second truth of Christmas is that God is knowable, but also grace is available. You know, the second verse in 1 John says that life and eternal life was made manifest to us. It became real to us. When Jesus became flesh, when God took on humanity for himself and he became one of us, it could only mean one thing, which is that God is for you. That God cares about you, that God values you enough that he's willing to come down to your level and communicate himself to you in a way that you can receive it. Think about this as a financial decision. Any of you businessmen or businesswomen and you've got to make a decision, are you going to invest a large sum of money in something that you think has no value? Are you going to invest in the company that you think is going to die or or not thrive? No, you're not going to throw your whole weight of your life and your influence and your, 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 uh, your, your financial investment into something you think has no value. You're only going to give yourself to something that you go, and I think there'll be a return on that investment. I think there's something of value there worth seeking out. And what we see in Jesus becoming one of us is that Jesus cared enough about us and valued us enough that he says, I will actually become one of you. And you know, that was not a short-term investment. Jesus didn't just put on flesh for a little while. He didn't just kind of pretend to be a man so that he could kind of see, we could see him. He actually became human in a way that he will forever be human. He gave his life to something and changed his life for all of eternity future because he loved us enough and cared enough about us that he wanted to invest his life in us. He became one with us. Matthew 1 says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and birth, give birth and bear to a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, I think that's an important distinction for us to understand because in the abstract, you could think about God, but God, God is majesty, but God with us is mercy. God himself is glory, but God with us that's grace. God on his own might be something that causes us fear, but God with us gives us confidence and hope. God has come to us, and when he does, it's his way of saying yes to you and to me and to all of those of the human race. He wants us to know that he loves us and he cares for us, and so he's come to us by grace. You know, God didn't ask us to work our way up to him and understand who he was. No, God came down to us. C.S. Lewis describes it this way. He says, in the Christmas story, in the Christian story, God descends in order to reascend. He comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down further still into the womb, down into humanity, down to the very roots and seabed of the nature he created. But he goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world up with him. And I love that. The son of God became man in order to enable men to become sons of God. See, God didn't say you work yourselves up morally, you work yourselves up intellectually, you work yourselves up through through religious experiences or spiritual experiences. In fact, God knew you couldn't do that. So the very fact that Jesus came and became one of us is a sign of his grace that said, man, I'm going to condescend and come to you in order to lift you up. The son of God became man so that we might become sons of God. We might be children of God, sons of God and daughters of him. So what difference does this make for all of us? Let's look at the third truth of Christmas. It says that friendship is possible. If you look at verse three in John, 1 John, it says it this way. 
So that, it says, why, why did all this happen? Why did God break into time from the beginning, make himself manifest through his son, come to you with life and eternal life? Why is it that he did it? He says, so that, uh, <clears throat> you, so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. He did it because he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants fellowship with you. He wants friendship with you. Jesus came to you because friendship, in order to make friendship possible. That's the goal and the purpose of all this. The word it uses there is quantania. It's a term that means, uh, that really means relationship or fellowship or intimacy. It's communion, it's a connection. It's some kind of a relationship that, that goes both ways. When Christ appeared to the earth, <clears throat> what we see is that, um, that, that he took away all the barriers between us and God. That the separation, the isolation that was there, he bridged that gap and brought us together in a way that we could actually have friendship with God in real relationship with him. And I love the idea here of, of what First John is telling us, that that relationship really is possible. And this is the thing that makes the event so strange to us. See, God, you think of the God of the universe and you think of the most powerful beings in our world, and you think of the celebrities of our world, you think of the A-listers, you think of the top-notch people, you think of the red carpet people, and you don't think of them coming in order to enter into relationship with you and me. You think that somehow they operate in a different stratosphere, but this is what's so strange to me about Jesus. Jesus didn't demand to be respected. He didn't demand to be exalted and lifted up. He came, didn't set himself up as a celebrity. He didn't broadcast his arrival on the, the stations that would give him the best press. He didn't, um, he didn't acknowledge or, or step into a stadium or sit on a throne. Instead, he became a baby. He came as, as one of us. He, his arrival was not to a palace, but to a manger. He, he wasn't welcomed with the red carpet. He was welcomed with um, the, the paparazzi of a stable of animals that stunk and smelled and made a little bit of room for him in an impromptu bed where he was laid. He didn't surround himself with important people, with emissaries, with those that were people of great influence in that world. Instead, he showed up as an outcast with nowhere to lay his head, as a child of a teenage mother surrounded by blue collar workers. And if there's a message in that, that Christmas I think wants us to understand is that there's room for all of us, that there's none who, are, who have not been welcomed into the presence of Jesus. It means we're all invited to be his friends. You know, in life, he was described as a friend of sinners. He was oftentimes seen as those who would mingle with those who were the outcasts or those who were on the fringe or those that felt lonely or those that had been shunned by others. Jesus welcomed them all. He didn't keep any of them away. See, God with us means that we get to experience what God is like. You get to actually, uh, you can actually look at the gospels and, and what John writes here is he, he got to see and, and to, to touch and to hear all of who Jesus was. And so he got to see what Jesus valued. He got to see what his priorities were. He got to see what his heart was about. You got to see the way he interacted. He got to see the, 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 the sense of humor that Jesus had. And so we get to see what God is like. But did you know, in Jesus becoming human, he also got to experience what life for us is like, which is the other side of that coin. God with us means that he knows what our lives are like. God with us means that in this journey of life, he's gone through it all. Have you ever been a baby wrapped in blankets? So was he. Were you ever lost as a child? So was he. And were you ever rejected by others? So was he. Did you ever face strong temptation? that you thought you couldn't resist, so was he. 
Did you ever be affirmed by the popular and sought out by others? So was Jesus. Did you ever make sacrifices for the sake of others? So did Jesus. Were you ever hungry or healthy? Were you ever lonely? Were you ever discouraged? So was Jesus. That means that we have a relationship with God that is unique, that we can understand who he is and he understands who we are. And that means there's a depth of friendship possible for you with the God of the universe, that he's experienced the things of life just like you do. And so he can relate to you and you can speak with him about those things. And Christmas is the announcement to all of humanity that God has made a way for us to be friends with him. And that really brings us to the fourth truth of Christmas, that joy is unstoppable. Joy is unstoppable. And he gives us another reason in verse four for why um, John is writing these things to us. He says that he's writing them to us so that our joy may be complete. He wants you to know that all of this, ultimately the goal of it, the purpose of it all, why Jesus came was to bring you joy. He wants you to understand that joy is yours if you'll simply trust him. This is really what what is meant by the redemption of the world, that God created a world that was intended to be good. God created a world in which good things were to happen. But as we went astray, God has now sent his son to bring about renewal of the world, to bring about restoration of the world, to bring our relationship with him back into order so that he can make things new and remake a world as it was intended to be. That's why it's good news. When we talk about the gospel being good news, why we celebrate it. When, the, uh, when, when Jesus was announced in Luke 2, it says, I bring to you good news of great joy. To you is born this day a Savior. It was Christ the Lord. Christmas is good news. It's not good advice for how to clean your life up. It's good news that Jesus has come and he's made a way for you and he is your Savior. And if you'll simply look to him, you can experience the joy he intends for you. Jesus said, a couple of different places in the gospels, John recorded things Jesus said. Jesus said that I'm coming to you and I'm saying these things to you so that you may have my joy. He says, look, I want you to know the joy that I have. And so I came to you and I'm speaking to you and I'm demonstrating to you what life is like so that you can be raised up into the joy that I have. John 16, 22, he says that you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. And in that day, No one will take your joy from you. Man, to me, there's not a more powerful statement of good news than that. Can you imagine time when no one can take their joy from you? Where where nothing can interrupt it, where nothing can invade it, where no distraction of kids or disruption of family or uh, traffic that cuts you off or rude person at Target that you're trying to buy last minute stuff or anything else that, that, that goes in the course of your life that nothing could take your joy from you. Jesus says there's a day coming when that's true. See, God's forever joy is unmistakable and no one will be able to take it from you. In the end, God will dwell with men. There will be no more sin, no more sorrow. And in that time, your joy will be forevermore because we will be with him. And one of the reasons Jesus is so faithful to us as friends is because he knows what we will one day be. You know, when Jesus sees you, he doesn't just see the kind of half-hearted belief, struggling to fight against the temptations that pull your way and the fears and the doubts and all the things that weigh you down and the things that are, I mean, you've got one foot all in on faith, but you've still got another foot that you go, man, I'm just not sure today if I really wanna do all this. And Jesus doesn't just see that. Jesus sees the future you. 
Jesus sees what you will one day be. He sees what you will be in the day when there is no more sin, but where you've been made entirely new and you look just like him and you're whole and you are holy and where his joy is fully yours. That's why he doesn't give up on you. That's why your savior will never turn the back on you. The one who's called you friend will, will always stay by your side and he will never, never turns back on you, but will always come to your rescue. So the question for you today is, are you listening to the truth of Christmas? Are you listening to the real message? Because I don't want you to look for a canon when you've been promised a canyon. I don't want you to look for something that's for, for the good of family and the good of gifts and the good of lights and the good of good meals and the good of celebration, but miss out on the great thing of Jesus himself. Jesus has come so that we would know him. He's come in order to make his grace known. He's come in order to be friends with us. He's come in order to give us joy. It's important for you to understand what Christmas is really about. So just speaking frankly, have you trusted the truth of Christmas? Have you made Jesus your own? And don't, don't let season go. Christmas is our annual reminder of Christ, the word made flesh, who's come as light and life. He wants to be your, he wants to be your grace and he wants to be your glory and he wants to bring you forever joy. So put your faith in him. Let me pray for us. Father, we come asking that you would make yourself known to any here who may not know you. And Father, for those of us who have trusted you in the past, Father, would you be real to us today? Would you not allow us to miss out on the joy of a relationship with you? Would you keep us from being numb to the miracle of Jesus' birth, Jesus' life, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, and the forever life and joy we'll have with him. Father, for the sake of your name and for the sake of each person here, that we trust you and we thank you for Christmas. In Christ's name we pray, amen.